Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And I have lots and lots of topics that we could talk about today, because we've been uh, you know, approached by a number of people that uh, have had questions. Some of them good questions, some of them uh, more insidious uh, than questions uh, that actually are... Uh, actually workers of iniquity, spreading a false gospel, but claiming, of course, to spread the, the true gospel of Christ. And, uh, you know, this is, you're going to have this. You're going to have all these people. And, and how do you know who's telling you the truth? How do you know whose interpretation of the Bible is correct? Well, the fact is, you don't know whose interpretation of, of the Bible is correct and whose interpretation of the Bible is uh, is false. And you don't know it because you often depend upon the knowledge of men, upon their private interpretation, upon your private interpretation of the Bible. And the Bible is not given to private interpretation. Jesus was walking with the apostles on a day-to-day basis teaching them. He was right there, the teacher of teachers. And yet, they didn't seem to uh, understand exactly who he was. I mean, we read the Bible from, you know, the beginning of the New Testament, and we know a child is born, a king, and we already have an idea who Jesus is. We're not picking up the book cold. We have a lot of preconceived notions that Jesus is this you know, God incarnate individual who is one with the Father. And um, he's uh, he's out there presenting this gospel, this good news. That's what gospel means, good news. We're uh, dealing with that gospel good news today. So we we look back at the beginning of the Bible, but the people who were didn't always know who Jesus was. I mean, he's growing up as a small boy at five, at six, at eight, nine, ten, twelve. You know, and he goes to Jerusalem and he speaks to the high priests and the, the priests and the teachers in the temple. He astounds them at what he seems to know. But they still don't know, for the most part, they don't know he's the anointed Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah. They don't know that. Some men do seem to know. A blind man knows. Shepherds out in the field know. Magi from way off. We don't even know where they're really from. I mean, we can guess, but uh, they come all the way to see him in uh, Bethlehem. They seem to know, but most of the people, they don't know. The apostles don't seem to know. Because Jesus is asking the apostles, you, you know, who am I? Who, who do the people say I am? Some say you're this, and some say you're that. But who do you say I am? 
Now, these are the guys walking with him daily. Even John the Baptist has to send uh, some of his followers to Jesus to ask Jesus, Are you the one? Well, didn't John the Baptist know he was the one way back, you know, at the baptism? He said he was, you know, he he wasn't worthy to even loose the latches of his uh, shoes. Uh, So, uh, what's that all about? What's he talking about? Uh, What's he actually saying when he says he's not worthy to loose the latches of his sandals if he doesn't know that he's the Messiah? Which he clearly doesn't know because he comes much later or sends men much later when he's in prison to find out, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Both priest and king. This is who they're waiting for. The anointed king. And how could Jesus be the priest? He wasn't a Levite. Well, his cousin was. And his cousin, John the Baptist, is saying, this is the one who is to follow me. And there really was a high priest in in Jerusalem, but he was the high priest of what? Fake religion. False religion. Because they had gone down a way that was not the way of Moses. They were sitting in the seat of Moses. Jesus tells us that. But they weren't doing what Moses said. They didn't even know what Moses said. Now, they studied the Torah, which was the Bible of that day. They had studied it in Hebrew and they studied, you know, in Aramaic. They studied it in the Greek. Because we see them quoting from the Septuagint. So, but they didn't know what it said. How come they didn't know what this said, the Torah said? And, uh, you know, someone, you know, was referring to the Essenes as some obscure little group that hardly anybody knows about. Well, he hardly knows about them. But uh, historians of the day wrote all about them. They were known all over the Roman Empire. They were known in Greece you know, hundreds of years before. They weren't called the Essenes, which is what we've learned to call them by historians like Josephus. And we're not even sure why anybody calls them that. There's over 60 different theories as to why they were eventually called the Essenes. They were not a homogeneous group. They didn't have a pope at the head of them. But they had a certain approach to to life and to the things that they did in society and to their own society. And, and they varied quite a bit. And, and still today, you can find people calling themselves the Essenes. But are they doing what those early Essenes were doing? And that that's up to you to discern. I think most people are not doing what the early Essenes were doing. We know they, they had a charitable system in their communities. They seem to be, for the most part, kind of avoiding government benefits, if not rejecting them altogether. They rejected animal sacrifice. They believed that that was a fiction and a fraud. Reading the same exact Hebrew Torah that the Pharisees were looking at. 
Although we know the Pharisees were also looking at the Greek text as well. But they were speaking Hebrew. They were speaking Aramaic. They, they knew the text. But the Essenes had a completely different interpretation of many of what your modern Christians would think is fundamental. But as you get deeper into some of the things that the Essenes believed, which we are kind of still discovering with things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, etc. I mean, we couldn't even read some of these ancient texts until we found the Rosetta Stone. And so to, and and people like uh, uh, Ten, not well, not Tendale, but uh, some of the the uh, well, Tendale too, as well. Uh, all these people who are scholars, who were looking at, uh, and the authors of concordances, etc., were looking at this. They were changing their opinion as more information was found out and and, and discovered. Because of the fact that uh, we were in the dark so much about, you know, the meaning of Hebrew words and the meaning of even some of the Greek words at the time. I mean, we know that Paul used all kinds of Greek words that we find nowhere else in any other Greek literature. It appears that Paul made the words up often to describe the relationship of Christians because there was no word to describe what the Christians were doing. So he had to make a word up. We, And that's legitimate. Greek language allows for the making up of words. You take a word here and a word there. And you put them kind of together. And you create this new word. They did it all the time. Shakespeare did it all the time. We do it still today in English. There are words that are invented by our modern society, and if they get used enough, they suddenly show up in the dictionary. And that's just the way language is. So, finding out what words meant at the given time in history when the Bible was being written, that's important. And you don't just know that automatically. Somebody has to teach you. Somebody has to show you. Somehow or other you have to find a source of information that will tell you what those words actually meant. I mean, just going back to when the King James Bible was translated. There are words that were used in the King James Bible when it was originally translated into English by this you know, these scholars that were hired by the king, King James, to translate the Bible. Now, you have to remember, Tyndale was commissioned by the king to translate the Bible, you know, Henry VIII. But then they wanted to kill him, and they cut out his tongue and burned him at the stake because he was translating the Bible. And they found out that, whoa, some of his translation kind of puts us at a disadvantage, and they didn't like that, so he got into Dutch. Because he was trans, that nobody knew what was in the Bible when he was translating it. Oh, they, they, there were people who thought they knew what was in the Bible, but the more he studied it, the more he realized, wait a minute, this is actually saying something different here. And you got the Wycliffe Bible. The introduction says that this is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And so, Understanding the meaning of words at the time something is written is very important. At the time something is translated is very important. 
But when the translators don't know the meaning of the word originally, then you have a problem. Now, personally, I think with one other additional thing and the Bible, you should be able to figure out what Christ was really talking about. And you need the Bible because that's a source to know what Jesus was saying because it says, and he said, and he said this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so, but what did he mean when he said these things? Well, you need to have something else to determine that. Do you need a degree at a seminarian college somewhere in the Midwest? Or what do you need? What is that extra thing you need? Well, Christ told you, and it says it in the Bible, what you need. You need revelation. You need the revelation of God. Because see, when you read the Bible, that's your flesh and blood reading the Bible. And you're not going to know what Christ had to say by flesh and blood. You're not going to know by studying with your intellect. Because that's the tree of knowledge. You need the Holy Spirit. You need revelation. You need that. That is something you need. Now, how do you get that? Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the Holy Spirit. But how do, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit and not some unholy spirit that's gotten into you? Well, you'll, you'll do things a certain way. And you will not do things otherwise. And so, what are those other ways you will not follow? And what are the ways you will follow? Well, obviously, you're going to follow the ways of love, caring, caring about other people, caring about your family, taking care of your family, you know, providing for your neighbor when your neighbor needs help, providing for your neighbor when your neighbor needs help in a way that strengthens your neighbor, helps your neighbor, not weakens them. So, you're going to see those things, those, those works coming out of somebody who really believes in Jesus Christ. And what you're going to see coming out of people who don't really believe in Jesus Christ, well, maybe that's a long list. Paul's got quite a few lists like that in his uh, epistles. You know, like they they won't be uh, false accusers. They won't be liars. They won't be extorters. They won't be covetous of their neighbor's goods. They won't desire benefits at the expense of their neighbor. They won't want to live at the expense of their neighbor. You know, force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. They just won't want to do that. It won't. That desire won't be in them. They won't do things for their neighbor in hopes of inheriting their neighbor's property. They won't, they just, that just won't interest them. Because that spirit does not dwell in them. What spirit does dwell in them? The, the spirit of sacrifice. What was the ultimate sacrifice of Christ? I mean, Christ was sacrificing all the time. Sacrificing his time, his energy. Uh, you know, I mean, he felt the virtue go out of him when the woman touched his garment. It went out of him willingly to touch, to heal her. 
because he was radiating love in all directions. And that love healed people. Just walking amongst the people was changing the people. As he traveled to Capernaum and wherever, he was affecting those communities by his mere presence because he was not traveling alone. What do they say? You know, uh, hordes of angels were there. Spirits. You know, whatever whatever that means. You know, and, and it doesn't spell out exactly what it means. You can imagine all kinds of things, but you don't want to believe in the images that you create in your mind. But it, it's interesting. It's interesting to ponder that Christ was spreading the gospel. What is this gospel, this gospel, this good news? And, and, and isn't it the gospel of the kingdom? That the time is fulfilled and the, the kingdom of God is at hand within your reach. You're now supposed to seek it. And the righteousness of God. What's the righteousness of God? God gives you the right to choose. Shouldn't you be giving the right to choose to other people as well? Or should you be controlling other people? You won't want to control other people. You won't want to become a guru and tell people what they should do and shouldn't do. People are always asking me, what should I do? I don't know what you should do. I'm only talking about principles of righteousness. I mean, when I say you should love your neighbor as yourself, I'm not telling you what to do because I don't know how that love is going to translate into action. But it must translate into action. Otherwise, you're not a doer of the word. So what would those actions look like? Well, that's what we write about. We, All our books available online for free. If you want me to hire somebody to print them up and drive 200 miles to go get them and come back and put them in an envelope and mail them off to you, you want me to do all the work, write it, give it to you for free, and print it up so that you can have a hard copy, yeah, we're going to charge some. When people come all the way out here, we've given away hundreds and hundreds of books. And and sometimes we've given them away to selfish people in hopes that they learn not to be so selfish. But they're all available for free. You don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to fill out anything. You don't have to even give us our e- your email. You can just go read them. And they're on the internet. In, in, uh, you, so you can go to libraries and read them. You can go to your friend's house and read them. You, you, you know, th- that your friends can print them out and hand them out to you themselves. If you have any friends. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's available for free. People have said for years that I should, you know, put a dollar and you can download the PDF. No, no. They're there for free. The audios. Hundreds and hundreds of audios talking about the books, talking about the articles. All available for free. Every week we give a a course in, um, we're going through the free church report now. And we'll go through others. And of course we've talked about many of the others in articles in, uh, and we've tried to categorize all these hundreds of 
audios so you can see them and we put up videos and we could do more but we only have so many resources to you know we actually still have to go out and labor to support this ministry you know like most ministries they want you to send all the money to them you have to you have to pay them to see the book uh even the pdf format books you, you know you and you want to get the DVDs, you have to pay them. All the material that we have on DVD is available online. We haven't figured out how to put the structure video online. But the structure video was made for some people just to kind of explain things. And we, we, we'll share it. We've given away hundreds of copies of it. But uh, everything is covered elsewhere. You don't need that structure video necessarily. If you want it, we'll make it available. And eventually, I suppose we could make it available online. But uh, it really doesn't lend itself well to YouTubing it. But everything else, I can't I can't hardly make more things. People go to the website and some say, it's so confusing. It's only confusing because it's contradicting what you already imagine to be true. Yeah, and there are articles where there are lots of links in the articles to other articles. Because, you know, we talk about religion. We mention the word religion. What do you think the word religion means? Does it mean what it says in the Webster's Dictionary today? Religion is what you think about a supreme being. That's the definition you get if you look it up in the dictionary. You Google it. You're going to get that kind of definition. Religion is what somebody thinks about a supreme being. But 200 years ago, there was a different definition for religion. It was, religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. You know, what you do for your neighbor, the guy near you, your neighbors near and far. That was religion. What you did for them in the performance of a duty. What is your duty? To love them. Love them. What does that mean? Force them to pay for your welfare? That doesn't sound like love. To be there for them. Their welfare for them. To take care of them when they need help in a way that strengthens them so they become independent too. That that might be love. That might be fulfilling your duty to your fellow man. I mean, God doesn't need your help. You know, I mean, what are you going to do for God? Well, what did Christ tell you to do? Feed my sheep. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Christ said to do. So that's what you should be doing. If you really believe in Christ, you'll want to do those things. You want to do what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what he says. But unfortunately, a lot of people are inventing their own commandments and they're using the Bible to do that and spreading false gospels and are false accusers and liars and deceivers. So who are they? We'll talk about that when we come back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, 
I could go into, uh, uh, someone has done a tirade on us on their website, and we'll probably talk about them. I might talk about them this afternoon, but he talks about not perishing. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants them to believe in the, in the cross of Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, how does that do anything? I mean, the apostles, right out of the box at Pentecost, they're baptizing people into the kingdom. That's what they were doing. Jesus never baptized anybody, but these guys were baptizing all the time. John the Baptist baptized before, but he wasn't baptizing people into the kingdom. He was baptizing the people under repentance to think a different way. That's what Christianity was called. It was called the way. And of course, we hear people today talk about the way of the cross. What's the way of the cross? To pick up your cross and and carry it. What is your cross? Your burden in life. Whatever your burden is. Your family, your neighbor, those are burdens. Are you willing to pick that up and do what you need to do to practice pure religion? Pure religion, again, is not pure thinking about you know, supreme being, it's the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That's what religion... Religion, the word we see translated religion is threskia. Threskia means what you do. What you do is very important. It was very important to Christ. Because he said it wasn't those who hear, wasn't those who just read the Bible, because he didn't have the Bible to read, they did have the Torah at that time. But it wasn't those who just read it or read it aloud or read it over and over again. But it was those who doeth the will of my Father. That's his brethren. Jesus was emphasizing doing. And Paul preached Christ first. Then he was putting out all these fires from people like the guy who doesn't want people to perish. We'll refer to him as Jim. Jim. He he doesn't know what Paul preached first. Which was Christ. And what was Christ preaching first? That you had to be a doer of the word. You had to love your neighbor. You had to forgive your neighbor. You had to take care of your neighbor. You had to take care of your family. They They knew all this. And that's when Paul's talking about we and us. He's talking about people that have got the baptism of Jesus Christ, been cast out of the social welfare system of Herod, run through the government temple by extracting taxes from the people to pay for benefits of the people. It was called Corbin. Corbin was a system of sacrifice that filled the treasury of the temple, so that the temple could provide for the welfare of the people through the synagogues that were member synagogues of that temple and that system. Herod had even created another whole system and temple for people who didn't like the Jewish traditions, but like the Temple of Roma's traditions. So he built the Temple of Roma. And they had little chapels or synagogues. They didn't call them synagogues, but that little little uh, uh, places where you could go and apply for your benefits. You, you know, like going down to the Social Security office. 
You just fill out and say, well, I'm now eligible for Social Security. I'm, I'm 65, I'm 72, whatever it is. And I, I would like to get a check every month. And they could send you a check every month because they had a treasury and they could provide those benefits to those offices. Rome did this. The Temple of Roma did this. The Temple of Jerusalem did this. The, the parents of the blind man who was healed by Jesus Christ, they were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue because they would lose their benefits. Their wealth. They were lovers of reward, which the Bible talks about. Are these lovers of benefits? Polybius talks about the people living at the expense of others. The the New Testament and the Epistles talks about taking a bite out of one another. Well, they're not talking about actual zombies going around and biting somebody's arm and taking. A, they're talking about people who take a bite out of their neighbor through the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. Through systems of social welfare, systems of Corbin, that operate not by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, but by force. You didn't know. You know, he, he tells you right in the Bible, and I, I hear ministers read this, and they just cannot put it together. It is so confusing to them. They just cannot figure out what they're talking about when they when they're talking about Corbin they don't they don't get it yet it's right there you go to mark 7 you know let's let's look at it in context i mean it's right there howbeit in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrine the commandments of men the commandments of men what are they? Isn't there the commandments of God? What What are the commandments of men? You know, the, the the word doctrine is the word that we see translated doctrine and teaching and learning. It means teaching and instructions. But the commandments of men, that's a word that shows up. It, it's in Ptolema, which is a noun, and it shows up three times in the Bible. So it's not it's not the only word for commandment. It shows up there, and it's uh, it's translated commandment every time. It's similar to uh, another Ptolemy or Ptolemy, which is uh, also translated commandment, but give charge, enjoin, charge, and, and actually means to order, command, to be done. So. What, who's bossing you? Who's, who's making you do what you have to do? Well, the, the government of Herod was, had all kinds of commandments. You had to pay this and you had to pay that. And he was taking and taking and taking and taking exactly the way that Samuel said he would. The way Rehoboam had done. They had soldiers in the temple. They had people who knocked on your door. And said, time to contribute. That was making the word of God the non effect. These commandments of men. And in order to have such a situation, you had to lay aside the commandments of God. And hold tradition of men. As, you know, like the washing of pots and cups and many other such 
like things you do. He's talking about, you know, how the Pharisees make everybody do everything in this particular fashion. But, you know, he was already getting into trouble with them. Or they were trying to trick him. And it says, is it lawful to pay the tax to Caesar? And that's another whole story. If you owe the tax, pay the tax. And that's what he said. They they were trying to trick him. Because something in the gospel of Christ had to do with taxes. But the Bible tells you the slothful shall be under tribute. So if you owe taxes... Somewhere in your history or the history of your parents, you've been slothful in the way of Christ. Because you wouldn't owe those taxes, at least to the extent that you do, if you hadn't been slothful in the way, in what Christ was doing, what Christians were doing. Most people don't even know what Christians are doing. It's in the Bible, but they don't know. Because... False teachers have crept in, sneakily come in, and slightly altered the meaning of words as they were used at the time of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 9, and he says, And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own traditions. What is he talking about? Keep your own traditions? What is that word tradition? It's translated tradition most of the time. But at least one place it's translated ordinance. And it actually means giving up or giving over. And it means the act of giving up. So it's not just any old tradition. It's the act of giving up something. Giving over something. Giving the power over something. It actually comes from the word to means to, to deliver or often translated betray or deliver up or give up. So, you know, to give into the hands of another. So it's not just any tradition, you know, like washing pots. It's you're you're giving yourselves over to an authority that is going to exercise authority over you. Now, why would you do that? Why would you give somebody the power to exercise authority over you? You know, like to, you know, make you wear seatbelts. Why Why can the government make you wear seatbelts? Why do they require, I mean, it's not bad to wear seatbelts. I mean, a lot of times they'll save lives. Sometimes it kills people, but sometimes it saves lives. But why do they have the power to fine you if you don't fasten your safety belt? Because they also are expected to take care of you when you get injured. You know, when you can't work anymore. They're responsible. You know, they they may not, you know, they get to determine how responsible they want to be, but they 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 will be held responsible for you if you injure yourself. So they yeah, they can they can regulate what you do. How did they get responsible? Aren't you responsible for yourself? Now, you can all of a sudden say, well, I want to be responsible for myself and I don't have to do what they say anymore. Yeah, but you weren't born in a vacuum. You were actually born in servitude. You are born in the bondage of Egypt. And Moses didn't come to Egypt and say, everybody just stop doing what the Pharaoh says and we're all leaving. 
No, they were actually in bondage. And you were, it was predicted you would be in bondage. You would actually become merchandise. You would become a surety for debt. It's all predicted by men like Peter and Jesus Christ and even Paul. And that's what's happened. And it's happened because you've been slothful and because of the covetous practices of you, your parents, and probably your grandparents that wanted free education, free Social Security, free benefits from government that don't come by free. It comes by force because they're forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare and charge them taxes. Now, how did they get so they could charge you tax on your land that you bought and you think you own? Because you don't own it. You think you own it. You have legal title, but legal title does not include beneficial interest. And we show you this. It's just part of your education. You don't need to know that. You just need to know that you need to love your neighbor as yourself and you need to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But what does that look like? So we can explain it further that you don't own your land. You don't own your labor. A portion of your labor has to go every day when you go to work. A portion of your labor has to go to the government. That's just the way it is. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that's the way it is. You can figure out whether it's good or bad. You should pay your taxes. You should pay your taxes until it hurts. Because that pain may bring you to repentance and you start thinking another way. You're under tribute. You're under the punishment of government that is oppressing you because you rejected God. Remember, that's what it said in Samuel, Samuel 8. When people wanted a king, a president, a prime minister, an emperor, a commander-in-chief, whatever you want to call it, when they wanted somebody to fix things for them and they wanted to give them power, they wanted, by their tradition, give power over to somebody else. Remember, that's what the word means, to give over. When you wanted to do that, that was because you already rejected God. You see, Jim... He's already rejected God. He doesn't know it because he's invented God in his own mind. He's created, he's taken the Bible, he's read the Bible, he's privately interpreted it and created a God in his own mind. What he thinks about the supreme being. And you have to follow what he thinks. And of course, he's got it figured out. You can't tell him otherwise. He's absolutely sure he's got it figured out, but he doesn't. And and you know that because he's a false accuser. And he's a lot of other things, but he's at least a false accuser. We could deal with all the other things some other time. But anyway, if we go on to verse 10 in this same passage of Mark uh, 7. And Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso curseth the father or mother, let him die the death. Honor thy father and thy mother. The word honor there is the same word for liver. It means to fatten. It doesn't mean just to obey. You may obey them, but it also means to take care of your father and mother. To provide for your father and mother. That's why the word fatten. You know, you fatten your calf. You fatten your livestock. You, you're providing for them. You're making sure they have enough to eat. And you care for them. So that you, cause if you're not, not caring for them, 
they get skinny and they get cold and they get wasted away and they die. So that's what it means to honor thy father and thy mother. But then he says in verse 11, But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban. That is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightst be profited by me, he shall be free. In other words, if he pays into Corban, you go to the temple and get your funds. The same word Corban there, which means sacrifice in the Hebrew, is not. It appears again in the Bible in another location, in the New Testament. But it's not translated Corban. It's not transliterated Corban. It's translated treasury. Because see, what was happening is people were paying into the treasury of the temple once they registered with the baptism of Herod and that was filling the treasury of Herod. So he could build this big golden temple. Money was just coming in. And they loved to see a golden temple because they knew that that gold was a reserve fund for them. They knew there was money in the treasury. That the, the, the system of social welfare that was started by Herod was not bankrupt. Because there you could see the gold. And so they knew that there was money there. Now, in your system of social welfare, there is no money. And you're not allowed to even look in the treasury, which is, you know, Fort Knox, the Federal Reserve, audit the Federal Reserve. You can't even look in there. You don't know who owns what. You don't know who has what. But you know that the government is in debt. And if the government is in debt, Social Security is in debt because there is no division of funds. And we explain this. Uh, Jim, he complains about the fact that I read law books. I never read law books to replace the uh, the New Testament or the or the Bible. I, I read them the same as I read a dictionary to understand words, the same as I read history books to understand words. Why do I need to understand words? I don't need that to understand the gospel of the kingdom. I don't need those to understand Christ. That's written in your heart and your mind by God. I need those facts to help you, all you others, out of the mire that you've sunk down into. You got you come across somebody who's out in the quicksand. They're out in the middle of the quicksand and they're sinking. They're almost up to their necks in the quicksand, in the mire. What do you do? Do you throw them a Bible? <laughs> That's going to take them down quicker. No. You get them a rope. And you throw the end of the rope or a stick or something out there so they get one end and you have the other end and you're holding on to the rocks out here. You know, the the cornerstone. Christ. And you pull them towards Christ. They got to hold on to the other end of the rope. You can't hold on to the rope. Actually, I could probably lasso them. Because <laughs> I'm pretty good with a rope. I'm not good by cowboy standards, but I've roped a lot of animals on the dead run. <laughs> so, <laughs> I could probably rope you, you, but I'd probably get the rope around your neck and choke you pulling you. <laughs> so, best you grab a hold of the rope and I'll pull on my end, and you pull on your end, and we'll get you out of the mire. I don't think Jim wants out of the mire. I think he wants to just go down. He's going to perish in the mire of his own thinking. 
his own vanity. And we'll we'll do a whole program on him and explain why he is is delusional. And it's very I deal with a lot of people that are delusional and many different levels of delusion. I mean delusional about all kinds of things. And they have a difficulty. You know, you're not supposed to attack the delusion. My my daughter's always reminding me that. <laughs> they have a real difficulty in rational thinking. They think they're rational. They think they make sense. And so, therefore, if you actually started explaining things to them in a rational way, they will find it confusing. You know, if you do it step by step, logicking it out, where you actually see how things are connected, that's confusing. Because that's attacking their delusion. You see, they they didn't rationalize things. And not that you find God by rational. God is a rational God. There's a reason for everything that God does. But it's not the reason that men think often. God is very orderly. Very consistent. Everything God does makes sense. If it doesn't make sense to you, it's because you don't know God. Once you know God, He makes sense. It all fits. And that's one of the things when I began to understand the contractual nature of government, which the Bible, if it is a book about the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, according to Wycliffe, then the commandment, thou shalt not make any covenants with the people where you go, or with their gods, which means ruling judges. That's another thing. You can look it right up in the concordance. The word you see translated God means ruling judge. So when they talk about God's many, Paul talks about God's many, he's talking about the ruling judges in societies that are not going the way of God. And see, if you didn't pay in your fair share, according to Herod, you could be arrested. You could be fined. You could have property taken away from you. You could be thrown into jail. If you weren't contributing to the Corbin of the Pharisees, that's what could happen to you. If you were registered, if you were a member, registered, you know, where they wrote down your name. But that's not the way of God. And that's what it goes on to tell you in verse uh, 12 and 13. It says, And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. You allow people not to take care of their father and the mother. It's not their job. You go to the government temple. They'll send you a check every month. They'll take care of you. And and because I pay into Social Security. I pay into the treasury. The Corbin of the Pharisees. I don't have to take care of my father and mother. I don't have to fatten. I don't have to honor them. Because I pay into the Corbin. I'm signed up for the Corbin, the treasury of the temple. And I pay in regularly, and that's where you go for your aid. That's where the blind man's parents were going to go. They weren't going to depend upon their blind son. They, he had it depended upon them. They probably should have de- stayed with the son, because I have a feeling he became very successful as he followed Christ. Don't know that, but I, that's just my educated guess. But when Jesus said, when they say, do no more, and what causes people to do less for their parents today than they did a hundred years ago? 
I mean, who took care of your parents a hundred years ago? It was you. The children had to take care of their parents a hundred years ago. They'd put them in a room in the house. Or they'd build a little house out back so they could have their personal privacy. Or they put them in a house where they had their own entrance, you know, in the house, but they had their own entranceway. I've actually built these for people. So they could put their parents in there. But Social Security allows you to do no more ought for your parents. Let's talk about even in more depth when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, when we're looking at this thing called Corbin, which we've done lots and lots of shows on, and lots and lots of writings on, explaining that the Corbin was this system of sacrifice. The reason you were sacrificing, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need the smoke of dead sheep burning up. God doesn't need, uh, you know, turtle doves sacrificed on the altar. You know, this whole idea of, you know, where you... You sacrifice a dove for your sins. The same exact word for that dove or pigeon or whatever you want to call it. Same exact words means a piece of your estate. Now, the wealthy Pharisees, they didn't want to give up a piece of their estate. They wanted to keep their estate. But they could buy a dove or, you know, a couple denarii and... Sacrifice that and the sin goes away. Magic, magic. And why would you give up a piece of your estate? What was that all about? You've sinned against somebody. You've injured somebody. They're not there. You can't give them back. You know, there's a, there's, they've lost something. There's no way to get it back. Maybe they're dead. Maybe they're gone. Whatever. How do you make recompense? You give up a piece of your estate to somebody else who needs it. What, do you just go down the street and hand a $50 bill out the window and there's your sin offering? You know, because, I mean, I should give to that guy. He's got a sign. Let's give to that guy. <laughs> you know, let's 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 give to this person over here because they look poor. They got rags on. You know, they always remember the story of Marco Polo's family when they were coming back from the Orient. They had been traveling. They had been shipwrecked. They had had all kinds of difficulties. Their clothes were in rags. You know, trying to get all the way back from the Orient back to Italy again. And uh, and they come into Italy. And they come into their hometown. And they're just wearing these rags. They look, you know, they're they're poor. They don't, they've lost weight. They've been traveling. They're dirty. And, and they th- people think, poor, poor polo family except in those rags they had hidden jewels (laughs) you know all kinds of precious jewels rubies and sapphires and what have you from the orient that were worth a fortune but they looked like they had rags you know if they had a sign on the side of the road you'd have given them 50 bucks the poor poor polos (laughs) but they were they were a walking treasury of jewels and valuables. But, of course, you know, traveling, you don't want to look like you got a lot of money. So, 
what do you do? How do you make recompense if you've injured somebody? You, you pass it forward to somebody else. You make amends. You know, if, if you've, if you've enriched yourself at the expense of others, you need to enrich others at your expense. That, that's not complicated. It's simple. But you have to do it wisely. And, you know, how do you do, do you go up to the guy who's the sign that says, uh, okay, do you have a car somewhere? Uh, do, do you have really money in the bank? Are you getting a, uh, a check every month because you've finagled your way onto Social Security and I'm just giving you extra drinking money for your buddies? I mean, there are guys out there with a sign making a hundred bucks a day, two hundred bucks a day. Some may actually make three, four hundred bucks a day. They work the streets. It's a joke. They think you're funny. They sit over and drink beer afterwards and they mock you. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't people that are in need on the streets. But who are they? Which ones are they? And then, of course, there's a lot of people who are in need on the street because they're lazy and slothful. Or because they're addicted and they won't give up their addiction. Because, you know, I know people that were addicted. And when they had a spiritual revelation, the addiction just stopped. Just disappeared. They never even went back, never even were tested to go back. Because they spiritually changed. And they were no longer addicted. They were no longer driven to smoke their marijuana or smoke their cigarettes or take heroin or anything. They just give it up. Because they changed inside. There was something they needed to see and admit. And and the change was dramatic. I mean, they wept and they cried when they made the change. They they one guy was driving down the road and he had to pull over because he was so shaken because he came to a spiritual revelation and he changed but he didn't change himself he was changed by somebody else by the holy spirit because he received it's like that woman touching the garment of christ he received the Holy Spirit. At least an aspect of it was healed in one aspect. He was not yet perfected in Christ. That's a process. But he was no longer addicted. There were other things that he would have to learn, just like Peter had to learn other things. James had to learn other things. We all have other things to learn. But we need to learn them from the Holy Spirit, not from our own imagination like Jim does. Jim is living in his imagination. He's living in his own head. He has privately interpreted the Bible and he thinks he knows what he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's talking about and I know he doesn't know what he's talking about because he's a false accuser. He he hears us say things or write things and he interprets, interprets them incorrectly. And then quotes them back, but not quotes them back. He alters the quotes or takes them out of context. And then says we say things that we didn't say. He's a false accuser. He's, he's not in touch with reality. You could write him stuff or show him stuff. He will twist it around and turn it into something else. And then when you show him the truth laid out, then, you know, that's what a lot of people say. They are just astounded at how when they go through our articles that everything starts to make sense. Because everything starts fitting together. All the little pieces of the puzzle when they read the Bible and they wondered, well, why is this? And why is that? And why why the five times they talk about religion, four times they're talking about bad religion. Only once did they talk about good religion. 
or religion in a good sense, and that was pure religion, and that was taking care of the needy of the society, you know, the widows, orphans, and needy of society, the people whose families have broken down and they need help. That's what pure religion was. But now pure religion is thinking what Jim thinks about the supreme being. He says that we're missing the cross of Christ. We're not missing the cross of Christ. We quote, we talk about the cross of Christ all the time. But we show what it actually means, the cross of Christ. Pick up your cross. Become a doer of the word. Why do we say that? Because Christ said to do that. And if Paul preached Christ first, Paul said that first. You know, the guy is just delusional. Absolutely delusional. And he doesn't want to admit it. And, and, you know, I will be here for him when he finally wants to admit it. But he doesn't really need me. He needs the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't have it because he's all caught up in his own vanity. I mean, he's got a website that just goes on and on, just attacking one person after another. You know, one minister after another. And, and probably a lot of them aren't really good guys. I don't know. I didn't go through all of them. I, I recognize some of the names there. Uh, but I really don't know those people. I know Christ. I know the Spirit of Christ. I know the Holy Spirit. And so I share what I have with other people for free. He tries to say that we're chasing money. If I was chasing money, I would tell everybody to send all their money to me, and then I would send money to the ministers that bring, and I'd set up a bookkeeping where, you know, if, if they send money to me, then, and they come from this congregation, then I would send a portion of that back to the minister. Right? That's, that's the way a lot of churches do it. I mean, it's, he all goes to the big guy, and then the big guy redistributes it to the little guys who are out there working. We don't do it that way. You choose. The people, the elders, choose who they're going to give to. And I, I, I just did several programs. We just did a, a study saying the elders must be very responsible on how they give. They don't, they don't throw that $10 bill, $20 bill out the window. They don't just hand it to a minister and walk away. They keep an eye on that minister because they are the overseers of the ministers. They aren't the bosses of the ministers. Christ is the boss of the minister, but, but they need to observe in that minister Christ working in his life. That's giving the power of choice, which God gave us to begin with, back to the people. But it is kingdom. And and he goes on and, and actually suggests in one place, um, uh, he says, Gregory writes about and speaks highly of the Essenes. Well, I, I say that the I see historically that the Essenes philosophy was very much like Christ. The Essenes were against taking oaths. That was a very common thing amongst the, what we call the Essenes. Like again, they they didn't call themselves Essenes. You didn't join, uh, you know, some big international group of Essenes. But uh, and he refers to them as a minor Jewish group in in Jesus's day. They were not a minor Jewish group. They were very prolific and and uh, uh, popular. They were probably the most popular group in the Jewish culture. 
They were so popular, they're actually popular amongst the Greeks and the Romans. I mean, you read Josephus, who was a historian for the Romans, but a Jew, supposedly himself. He speaks highly of, he speaks that the Romans would take the word of an Essene without an oath over that of a Pharisee with an oath. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I'm not the one who speaks highly of them. I'm just telling you what other people, I don't know any Essenes, but I'm telling you what was written so you have some idea of the testimony of people who are living in history. And I'm a big one for going back and reading what people are actually writing in history, even though that may be incorrect, rather than writing what other people tell you about what people wrote in history, because a lot of them have the same malady that Jim has. He'll read a text and paraphrase it to mean something else and use that paraphrase as if it's a quote, as if that's what the person says. And he even goes on to say, and some legends say they have links to the mystical Talmudic writings of the Kabbalah, which, uh, you know, there might be some writings that say that. And I, I wouldn't be surprised that they don't have some uh, connection with the Kabbal uh, or Kabbalah as he is. That's just the, the word Kabbal with a hay on the end, uh, which is an emphasized emphasizing letter, but kuf biet lamat. What is that all about? Well, there's there's evil in that. There's evil in some of the Talmud. Uh, quite a bit of the Talmud has evil in it. But the Talmud also, uh, Talmudic writings also make reference to uh, uh, Simon the jar maker, who is the same as Simon the leper, being under house arrest because of his involvement with a false messiah. But of course, we know that false messiah is Jesus Christ, who was the messiah. So it's all a question of point of view. But yeah, I've read some of the Talmudic writings because they talk about, you know, Corbin being a part of a system of social welfare. And it was. But they turn it into something else. They twist it. The Talmudic writings and the evil that's in them it's the same thing we see Jim doing. He takes the Bible and he twists it. The same as he takes my writings and twists them. To mean something other than what they really mean. Paul preached Christ first. Paul preached the kingdom of God was at hand. But, you know, he doesn't get that. He goes on to say, Gregory makes Apostle Paul called by Jesus Christ a liar. I didn't make Paul a liar. He says I make Paul a liar. I'm defending Paul all the time. These people who say that Paul was a false apostle, people are always trying to say that because people don't understand what Paul is really talking about. And you can take my word for it or you can take Peter's word for it that says that Paul is going to talk to you about things that are hard to understand. And so, yeah, it's likely that Paul's going to be misunderstood. And, of course, he is by people like Jim. And he refers to me as a poor teacher and a fool. He's calling me a poor teacher and a fool. But but am I? Well, you just have to decide that yourselves. But uh, that's just judgmental. And Jim is full of judgment. He's judging all these people, everybody. You know, he's, 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 he's the Savior. 
going to save everybody from perishing because he's got the right interpretation of everything. But he doesn't. He's he's confused about it. When you try to show him where he's confused, he gets more confused because he doesn't have a humble enough heart to see where he's wrong and incorrect. He, he says that I make God out as a bumbling creator. I, I Where do I do that? I absolutely say the contrary. I think Paul is right on. I think Jim's interpretation of Paul is is goofy and slanted. But his interpretation of me is goofy and slanted. Uh, his interpretation that I think somehow God's a bumbling creator. Where do you even get that? And of course, he, he says, how yes, Gregory would have you believe that the gospel is setting up God's kingdom. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. He's appointing to the apostles. I appoint unto you a kingdom. He says to the Pharisees, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to another who bears fruit. He says to them, my little flock, it is my good pleasure to appoint unto you a kingdom. He's talking to his disciples. And then we see him do it. In Luke. I appoint unto you a kingdom. He says you're not to be like the kingdoms of the Gentiles, the other nations, who exercise authority one over the other, like modern Christians do. I mean, they have their social security and their welfare and their all these things because they prayed to the men who exercise authority one over the other. The, the governments, the princes of the Gentiles, the, you know, the... The presidents and governors of the Gentiles, the other nations, they pray to them, please take away from my neighbor, please borrow money so that my neighbor's children will be in debt so that I can have benefits today. You know, it's the wimpy philosophy. If you know who wimpy is in Popeye, can I have a... You know, borrow a nickel to buy a hamburger today. I will pay you back tomorrow. <laughs> Anti-Sabbath keepers, all of them. <laughs> but anyway, he says uh, the kingdom of heaven on earth. But the Apostle Paul did not focus on that, nor did he preach or teach us to do that and ignore Christ. I don't teach you to ignore Christ. I teach you to do what Christ said. And Christ said to be a doer of the word. To pick up your cross. That's preaching the cross. Christ picked up his cross. You pick up your cross. Your cross is probably not as heavy as his. But you should pick up your cross and do what you're to do. In the practice of pure religion. Which is the taking care of the needy of your society. And what is your society? It's all those other people who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How many times did Paul talk about the kingdom? Does Jim know how many times he talked about? I mean, in Acts, you know, restore again the kingdom to Israel. We see that in Acts 1, 6. In Acts 8, 8, 12, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. That was at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Go out and preach the kingdom of God. This is what we're told. It talks about we must go through much tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God. What then? Most of that tribulation, it's seeing our own souls. 
It's seeing, and that's what it says, confirming the soul of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And and through that tribulation of continuing in the faith, to take care of the needy of society, to sacrifice daily. You know, I have gone into the homes and cared for the elderly. I've washed them, bathed them, massaged them, healed them. What's Jim doing? He's going around trying to debate everybody and point and, and tell everybody how they're all wrong and that they're talking about being workmen and that's somehow bad and ridiculous. Jim is absurdly ridiculous, but he doesn't know it. He thinks he's, you know, the cat's meow. We see in Acts 19.8, you know, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. They're talking about that. And we haven't even got down to Romans. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness? They're not what we're supposed to be seeking. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. What is His righteousness? Taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity rather than through the men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. I don't want the governments of the world to go away. I don't want to tear them down. I want them to tax the hell out of you. Uh, You know, they're not listening to me anyway, so I'm not telling them to tax you more. But in the burdens that they put on you, you may finally wake up to the kingdom of God and turn around and seek that instead. That's what happened to ha- that's what had to happen to the Israelites in Egypt. The burdens had to get great until they cried out to God. But God tells you that, you know, because you go and choose these leaders who exercise authority one over the other and take and take and take away from your neighbors so that you can have more and more and more. He says, when you cry out, I'm not even going to hear you. You want God to hear you? You have to change your ways. You have to turn around. You have to seek to get closer to God by turning around and sacrificing in the direction of God's kingdom, which is a kingdom that operates by faith, open charity, and that righteousness and that perfect law of liberty. In peace and the joy in the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit that dwelleth in you. He's not going to dwell in the, the covetous. He's not going to dwell in the false accusers like Jim. Jim wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if... He ran up and bit him. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're we're trying to show him that you need the Holy Spirit in order to understand the gospel of the kingdom of the of the scriptures. You anybody can read the scriptures, but only those people who have divine revelation. And that's what Christ said: "Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You know this not because flesh and blood, but because of revelation." So that's what you need. When I prayed on the desert, and I didn't, you know, like, I wasn't going to go all the way into this this guy because he, he's just so lost. I feel so sorry for him because he, he doesn't understand the gospel at all. Uh, he's just so mixed up. He, he, even his very first line, he's got a typo in here. Uh, this is sad, as Jesus said, we live by every out of God's mouth. He didn't put in, type in the word word, word out of God's mouth. 
as it says in Matthew 4, 4. I'm quoting the Bible all the time. But the Bible is the words out of the mouths of translators and authors and, and people who change the definition of words. The Bible you're reading. But the Word of God comes by revelation, not by flesh and blood. This is why I'm always pointing out when it says, Study to show thyself approved. The word study there is only translated study there in the Bible. Everywhere else in the Bible it's translated, be diligent, and that's what it means. But be diligent, that's kind of like we have to be doers. But isn't that what Christ said? Be doers of the word? I mean, Paul tells us those who are not doing what Christ said, you know, are false accusers and backbiters and all these other things that he lists off, were to have nothing to do with them, that they're not even going to inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 2.10 says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. What does that mean? He says, Paul says, we are complete in Christ. For one thing, Paul wasn't talking to Jim. Paul was talking to Christians who had walked away from the social welfare programs of Herod and Caesar and had started their own social welfare program, their own daily administration, operating through faith, hope, and charity. That's who Paul's talking about when he says we. Those who are following the way of Christ, who are not looking to benefactors who exercise authority, but looking to Christ to work upon the hearts of their neighbor if they need help. And in the meantime, they themselves were being of assistance. They were creating the daily administration that reached all across the Roman Empire. And we see Paul moving funds. How did Paul know where to take the funds from Galatia to Corinth? How did he know that? How did he know where to send his letters? He'd been in Arabia for years. He'd only stayed with Peter for 15 days. And suddenly he knows where everybody's got to, you know, where the money's got to go. Him and Barnabas were sent out right away. It was a network. He says, he, this Jim complains about us trying to facilitate a network, which is just an opportunity to edify the kingdom. We're not creating the kingdom. It's already here. But we're edifying it by calling people who want to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness to gather together, not forsake the gathering together, to be that kingdom of God at hand. And Paul is complete in Christ because he's actually doing what Christ said. He's a doer of the word, not just a hearer uh, and a reinterpreter like Jim. He's not doing, oh, he helps out probably a few people in the local neighborhood, but nothing that's going to cost him much. Because Jim's really about his own personal vanity and security. And, you know, I, I wish the best for him. But I have to tell him the truth. As many as I love, I also rebuke. And I'm rebuking Jim. Jim is a lost soul. And he's trying to get other people to be lost souls like him. Colossians 4.12 talks about you know, one of the servants who's, who's one of you, a servant of Christ. Servant. How's he a servant? Because he's actually providing for the people. Saluteth you always laboring fervently for your prayers, 
that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Will of God? Doing the will of God? Isn't that what Christ said? He who doeth the will of the Father? He's talking about doing stuff. We'll be back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, Jim doesn't believe in the cross of Christ. He doesn't believe in the cross. He doesn't believe in picking up his cross, although he probably thinks he does. But he's not a doer of the word. He's not gathering together to be the social welfare of people who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He doesn't want to be any part of that. He just wants to sit there typing out accusation, false accusations about other people. I don't know about all the other people, but I certainly know that it was false accusations because he's he's constantly saying that we say certain things. You know, like God is a bumbling creator. I mean, you go find where I say God is a bumbling creator. <laughs> and you go find where I say that Paul is a liar. I don't. Paul is absolutely right on. It's just people who think they understand Paul are liars. <laughs> They just, Paul's talking to you about things that are hard to understand. But he said that I'm preaching Christ first. And, you know, I'm talking about all the different places that uh, we see the kingdom of God mentioned by Paul and by, you know, in the Acts. They're always talking about the kingdom of God. In Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness. So what is righteousness? It's taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity, and not through men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise the Lord. He says, so we, we should obey the government until the government tells us to do something that is contrary to God. Well, coveting your neighbor's goods through government is contrary to God. And most governments are contrary to God because the reason you're electing that government is because you've already rejected God. You want to have a Saul, a Caesar, a, you know, a Nimrod to be the mighty provider instead of the Lord. You're not going to say that, but that's what you, that's why you're not leaving the system. Now, I don't, you can't leave the system. You're going to have to pay your tally of bricks. You can't just walk out, but you have to turn around and start taking care of one another. You are a surety for debt. You are a merchandise. You have been cursed by the, the covetous practices of your parents. Now, your parents may have been engaged in these covetous practices because they lacked knowledge. Yea, but through the lack of knowledge. That is what people do. They lack knowledge. We're sharing you that knowledge. We don't need the law to understand the kingdom. But you lack knowledge, and that knowledge may help you understand the kingdom. But you still won't understand the gospel. It won't be written in your heart unless you accept it in your heart. That's what we teach. Not what Jim says we should teach, but what we say we're teaching. First Corinthians 4.20 The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So, I mean, Jim thinks you just read the Bible and you got it. No. No, you don't cast out demons by reading the Bible. You have to have the power. You don't heal people by reading words. You have to have the power. And that power is the power of choice. You know, do do you have that? But in power, 
the word there actually is well what we'll go on to we only have a little bit of time here first corinthians 6 9 know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of god what are the unrighteous the people who are still engaged in covetous practices still looking to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority men who have rejected christ rejected the church appointed by Christ, the called out appointed by Christ, who are here to help feed the sheep. Because you don't want to help us feed the sheep. You don't want to help us take care of people. We, you know, Jim should, yeah, one one of our ministers, I, I shared Jim's letter. And, and the ministers went and checked out his website and they showed me what, you know, his recordings and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm just astounded how Jim is so delusional. But they, they were pointing this out. They said that one of them said he should come out and work with you for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I don't know if he's tough enough. He's, I don't think he's very old. So, you know, he's got to, he's got to, he can't be a millennialist and keep up with me. He says, be not deceived, fornicators, nor adulterers, or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, extortioners, as people who want to force their neighbor to contribute to their benefit, shall inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 15.24, he says, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Well, that actually did happen. Now, he, that's another thing he accuses me of being a preterist. Rome fell. It collapsed. For hundreds of years, most people lived free in Europe. There was no king in Europe that was ruling over them and forcing them. There was a huge, vast, voluntary society that went from... Uh, valley to valley to valley to valley. But then, about a thousand years after the fall of Jerusalem, kings started raising up. Stephen, the bullion, William the Conqueror, all these guys started putting down rebellion, which is just putting down freedom fighters. People who are still trying to remain free, souls under God. And the church had to kind of go underground. And again, it was underground during the Inquisition in the 1500s. But now we're here where the whole world has gone into Mystery Babylon. They're all praying to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. The nimrods of the world who are the mighty providers instead of God. The churches no longer take care of the widows and orphans and needy of society. They send a few missions off to Mexico or Africa or something. And they think that's a big deal. But 90% of the people who need help in their churches have to go to men who are extracting funds from their neighbor to provide them with welfare, social security, etc. The Corbin of the world today. Which makes the word of God to none effect. Which takes us back to that, what I was saying. This, this Corbin that makes the word of God to none effect. Because you're not living by faith. You're not living by hope. You're not living by charity. You're living by force. By the sword of those benefactors. That's how you're operating today. You go to church. You sing your songs. You wave your hands. But you actually, when you need something, you go to men who are going to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And, and, 
They provide that welfare by borrowing against your children. So you're cursing your children the same as your parents cursed you. And you say, well, I don't want to pay in the taxes anymore. I'm not going to be a part of that system. I never said that. You pay what you owe. You're born in bondage. But seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Pay your tally of bricks, but start filling each other's water vases. Start taking care of one another. And you're going to have a wonderful opportunity to do so during hard times. This happens to be the the ninth month, 23rd day, 2017. And according to people who have been writing me for weeks and weeks and weeks, this is the end of the world today. You know, this is, great calamities are going to come because all the planets are lined up. Hasn't happened this way in thousands of years. Well, calamity is coming. And uh, personally, the most of the people that are writing this nonsense to me, which may have some truth because there are things that foretell coming events that are in the heavens because that's the way the Spirit operates. The Spirit is echoed in the physical reality. And the reason I, I'm saying that is because the Spirit that dwelleth in you is going to produce your physical reality. And the Spirit that dwelleth in Jim is going to produce his physical reality. And his life is going to follow the spirit that he entertaineth in his heart. That false accuser spirit that he entertaineth in his heart is going to lead him to destruction. He will perish with that spirit. Yet, his website says, don't perish. (laughs) But he's actually preaching the opposite. And he is leading people away from the ways of God. Because he doesn't see that the Corbin of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect. Through your traditions, through the fact that you've given over your right to choose to men who exercise authority. That's who takes care of your needy. And all your churches, almost, I mean, some of the Amish people, they don't depend on that. They take care of one another, their children take care of them, and etc. And, but, you know, they may have other problems. I'm not telling everybody to become Amish. But it's interesting that they are actually, many of them take care of their family without Social Security. That many of them don't even get Social Security numbers. It's it's. Uh, but this Corbin of today is making the Word of God to none effect because you gather in your churches, but you are not taking care of one another. And in that work, by your traditions, by your, what it says, the giving up, the, those ordinances of men. Where you have to pay in to take care of the needy of your society. It's forced payments. It's not through faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty. Through that choice, that exousia that God has given us all. The right to choose, the liberty to choose. Our network is dependent upon your right to choose. We want every minister, what he receives, he has the right to choose what to do with that. You have the right to choose to give to him or not give to him. Now, he talks about our paperwork. You know what our paperwork consists of? The first offering you give, we record it. That's it. You you say, I'm giving this to this minister. 
and, and you sign that I gave this to this minister. First offering only. And then that minister accepts it in the name of Christ for the purposes of Christ. And he signs that he's accepting this for the purposes of Christ. And then an overseer, his minister, that he sends this to, says, I see that this man gave this man for the purposes of Christ this thing, and I have witnessed it. That's just bearing witness. It's not paperwork. It's bearing witness. And all we're doing is weaving the breaches of the minister. We're giving him a covering. Because he has no authority to be the minister of that man. Somebody recently, and this is really what I wanted to talk about. Somebody recently thought that our the way we're doing things is too minister-centric. And I, I didn't understand exactly what he meant by this. And, and I talked to him. And I think it's a very good topic that he brought up. And I, and I actually commend him for the courage of bringing it up because I want people to challenge us. You know, the, what, what Jim's doing, he's not challenging us. He's invented a different us. <laughs> he's invented somebody else. He calls it Gregory Williams. And he says, Gregory Williams says this, Gregory Williams says that, and says this. He doesn't say any of those things. It's nonsense. But he can't tell what I say because He's already confused. And so when he hears the truth, it seems confusing to him. Because he doesn't know the truth. He's a Pharisee. He's like them. They don't understand the words of God. They think they do. Full of pride and arrogance. But they don't. And they're going to perish in that. But I told them I would leave judgment to God. But I'm just... I, you know, I haven't even named him yet, but if, if you want to, all our ministers know who he is. So if you want to know who he is, you can get a hold of them. They'll, they'll, I'll show you his website and you can go look him up. But Jim is under a strong delusion, but you can make your own choices on that. He's just Jim here. And I'm not going to, I mean, he's defaming us and false accusing us. And, and I haven't ever met the guy. I just see what he's written. I know he's a false accuser because he takes the very thing that I say, turns it into something else, and then says that I'm wrong. But it's not, it's he's wrong about what I said. Everybody is making this word of God to none effect. And like I said, what I really wanted to talk about, and I may revisit this this afternoon a little bit, is the structure of the church. Jesus clearly appointed the kingdom, a kingdom, to the apostles and told them to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God is at hand. And they did. And they formed a daily administration to take care of the needy of society because Christians would no longer go to the governments who exercised authority one over the other because Christ forbid that. It's not to be that way with you. So here they are operating an entire social welfare system through faith, hope, and charity, that which means people had to give to ministers. And you see ministers like Paul taking larger supplies from, from one nation to the next. And... Uh, and they take it to that nation to give to Christians. And he knew who to give it to because they had a network that included recording who are you send in this letter to? Where do you go? Who do you see? Who do you, how is this funds going to get to whom? And, and those, the letters we have are just probably a fraction of the letters that Paul was sending out. And he was sending them out by messengers who were traveling all over the Roman Empire in this vast network of Christianity, which scared the bejesus out of 
the emperors who feared the union and discipline of the Christians. Because if they ever did become violent, they were so well organized and everywhere that they would be in a lot of trouble. But anyway, so why do we do it the way we do it? Why does one family choose a minister? Because he was saying, why don't the congregations get together and then choose a minister? Well, it'd be great if they did. But how are they choosing that minister? Are they electing him? 51% of the congregation elects a minister and the other 49 have to go along with it? Is the congregation a democracy? The congregation is a free assembly. It's not a democracy. It's not an unincorporated association. It's just people. Clay altars. They're not bound together. They're not melded together. They're not contracted together. They're only bound by love for one another. They don't know what that love is. They have to congregate together to find out what it is. They're not looking for the perfect congregants or the congregants that don't rub them the wrong way. They 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 enjoin with congregants who rub them the wrong way because it gives them the opportunity to forgive. I forgive Jim. I don't have any problem with Jim. I forgive him. I'm leaving judgment to God. I'm just telling you about the facts. As many as I love, I also rebuke. And I'm only rebuking him because he's he's delusional. And he needs to know he's delusional. And this afternoon, we'll maybe go into some more of his delusion. But the congregation is sewing the breeches, the underwear of the ministers by that little document they fill out when they first begin. Every other contribution is just freely given. Freely given up to that minister. And and you watch and see that that minister does well with what you've given him. Done wisely with what you give him. And you, we have a network of ministers that are kind of watching each other's back. But we're also there. Jesus sent ministers out two by two. Who's who's with Jim? <laughs> Paul, I know. <laughs> Peter, I know. But Jim, I don't know. I don't even know who he's with. I just see him complain about all kinds of other people. And he's doing the same with them that he's done with us. He's a mess. But anyway... This is what the congregations are. They're free assemblies. You can only have the right to empower somebody to be your minister. Hopefully, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, you will pick a minister who's the Holy Spirit is also dwelling in. If you find out that the Holy Spirit is not really dwelling in the minister you have picked, then pick another one. You have no obligation to him. The bread that you've cast upon the waters, it'll come back to you one way or the other. Because God is faithful. See, I believe that God is is very competent creator. <laughs> I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And that's that's the way it operates. And then that minister picks a minister. Why? Because he has to love his neighbor as himself. Not just those that love him and his little local congregation. It's a kingdom. If you don't have that minister-picking, minister-picking, minister network, which is what Moses created with the Israelites, and the early church clearly had until Constantine and people like uh, uh, Subius or uh, Ambrose and these guys who were this top-down bishops of, of hundreds of people, exercising authority, appearing in front of the Roman Senate, calling for persecution of those who don't practice Christianity as he saw it, 
kind of like Jim. <laughs> I don't want you to persecute Jim. I want you to pray for Jim. Jim needs lots and lots of prayer. He's delusional. And and we hope he finally wakes up someday and actually know, learns to know the Holy Spirit and is guided by the Holy Spirit. He's clearly not guided by him much now. If he is, it doesn't show up in his discernment concerning us or his treatment of us. And until then, I'm just going to stay away with him. I'm not going to argue with him. I'm only sharing this information and him anonymously as Jim uh, so that you can... Uh, you can see how this is dangerous. So the congregations need to come together, not because everybody in that congregation is in, in agreement with each other, that they even unanimously pick the one minister, although by default, because of the way in which we do this, everybody in a congregation has unanimously picked that minister. But they didn't do it as a vote of a democracy. They gave a votive offering. Their offering was their votive offering. And they they have one vote for one minister. And they could change that vote anytime they want. But they say, this is my minister. Now, they can go to anybody else in the world they want to go to. They can even go to Jim and ask for advice and learn from Jim and all this stuff. Hopefully, when they go to all these other people, they will go with the Holy Spirit dwelling in their hearts. In order to do that, they must walk in forgiveness. So you don't want a perfect congregation where everybody is a saint. You want an imperfect congregation because you all, all need practice forgiving. And that's why you gather together to learn to forgive. You also all need practice in giving. Not to me. I mean, you can give to me. That's your choice. I'm not restricting that. You have to give to somebody. And you should give in a way that strengthens them. When you give to the minister, that's a temptation that he will hoard the money, that he will misuse the money. That temptation will always be there. Hopefully, he rises and uses it wisely. He won't just buy a house for an old lady or something. He will... Deal, use the funds to deal with the problems of the old lady, you know, the old widow, to make her stronger in Christ, to bring Christ into her heart, to bring peace into her heart. Someone else wrote me a question, and I thought, he actually wrote a bunch of questions, and uh, I was going to see, did I, I put that in here? I didn't put that in here. I, I guess it's not here. <laughs> Let's see if I can find that. Uh, ah, yeah, here it is. He says, uh, and let's see, we have enough time for this? Barely. He, said, he messaged us. You, there's a place on the, hisholychurch.org that you can fill out a thing and ask us a question about all kinds of different topics. And he says, Gregory, after some time reading recourse, uh, resources available, I have a few questions. On redemption, there was much talk about redemption from essentially the state and the dominion of man. Although that is good and admirable, what are your thoughts on redemption from sin? And then he has a likewise here, but let's deal with that first. You cannot get redemption from the bondage of the world unless you get redemption from sin. You are in bondage of the world 
because of sin. Because of, like Peter says, covetous practices, which Jesus forbid, Paul forbid. But also because of sloth. The slothful shall be under tribute. Slothful in what? In the ways of Christ. In the righteous ways of Christ. In pure religion. Slothful in pure religion. Taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. I mean, most abortions are the result of this system of not caring about one another. Uh, we've got smaller and smaller families in Europe, especially, and also here in the United States, because people don't need families. they got government. And so, you need the redemption from sin by repentance, by turning around and seeking the kingdom of God in a diligent way, striving in order to be free from all other dominions. And that's a process. But anyway, we'll have to talk more about this this afternoon. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.